So we're slow walking through the book of Romans, and we finally made it to Romans chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or if you have a device and you want to find your way to Romans 4, that's where we're going to be today. The more I study Romans, the more uh, I find that the way Paul handled, um, Paul's the author of Romans, the way he handled the material, he's just brilliant. And so Paul is a Jew who is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, and he knows how to talk to them, and he knows how to anticipate their arguments, and so he's, that's what he's doing. Um, so if you've ever been in a conversation that goes like this, you, you might say, hey, let's begin a new business. And then the next thing you might say or should say is, I know what you're thinking, and then you're anticipating the reason not to. So you're saying, you know, I know the economy might not be supportive, and we don't know anything about this business, and... Two-thirds of all businesses that start never make a profit, but I think we should do it. Or the argument could, or the, the conversation could go like, um, let's buy a hot tub. And, and you say, I know that we don't have money for a hot tub, and I know we don't know how to keep up a hot tub, and I know we live in a fifth-floor studio apartment, but wouldn't it be great to have a hot tub? And so this is Paul saying, okay, I know what you who are Jews are thinking and, and as a you know, as a Kentucky guy, I kind of know how Kentucky thinks. Kentucky people, not not always, but sort of generally. And if you're a South Carolinian, you know how you South Carolinians think. And if you're from the Northeast, you might say, "Well, I know how the you know the the Yankees up there uh, we think." And if you're from the Northwest, we know how those people think. Well, okay. So and Texans think they know how they think. So um, here is Paul, and he's Jewish, and the Jews have been told. All right, let me back up. So the Old Testament, all of, all of this part, talks about offering a sacrifice for the forgiveness or for the, I don't know if forgiveness is the right word, but to appease God for a while. So you offer an animal sacrifice, the blood was put on the altar, but um, there was a time where the temple was destroyed. The place where you offered the offering was destroyed, and now they couldn't do that anymore. The Jewish people didn't have a place to do what they thought would appease God, to win God's favor. So there were some guys, and they came up with a notion, why don't we keep the law? You know, we have the Ten Commandments, we have the law of the, the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Pentateuch, why don't we just keep the law? And that became the way they think. And once you get a notion in your mind, it's really hard to, to change your mind about something. So I, I came up with some, some ways to illustrate that. All right, so George Washington, the, the idea or the, the story out there is they had wooden teeth. George Washington didn't have wooden teeth. He had teeth that were made of ivory. He actually had other people's teeth. I don't know like if like he borrowed some. Uh, he had somebody else's teeth. And uh, the ivory turned brown, and so people looked at that and thought it was wood. He really didn't have wood teeth. Um, when I was a kid, I was told once you eat, had eaten, you couldn't get back in the pool for how long? How long? 30 minutes. Wrong. Uh, doctors will say there's no chance that that's going to be a big deal. But we, that's what we think. Let me give you another one. If you swallow gum, how long does it take to digest? Seven years. Seven years. Wrong. Uh, uh, gum doesn't stay, like, if, you, if gum stays in your body seven years, you got a bigger problem than digestion. 
because it's not supposed to stay, and it kind of just travels right through. So it's not, that's just silly. It's silly. And, and one more serious, for millennia, people believe the sun rotated around the earth. <laughs> By the way, that's not true. Uh, that's also false. And there was a guy named Galileo, and he said, hey, hey, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this, and I think the earth is revolving around the sun, and they killed him for it. So we get these notions in our mind. So the Jews had a notion. Uh, we, if we keep the law, if we do good things, God will, he will favor us. This is what they thought. Now, it's not like, we're, it's like, oh, they're so backward and we're so sophisticated. Okay, well, we have thoughts like that too. If we do good things, there are people who believe that if you... Um, if, you're, if you're baptized, or if you take communion, or if you tithe, or if you go to church, or if you keep the Ten Commandments, or if you pay it forward, we're, we're thinking, okay, well, this, these good things have to happen. God has to approve of us. And, and speaking of pay it forward, I, I wanted to read a little story to you I saw this week. It goes like this. I know I shouldn't have done this, but I'm an 83-year-old man, and I was at the McDonald's drive through this morning, and the young lady behind me leaned on her horn, and started yelling expletives because I was taking too long to place my order. So when I got to the first window, I paid for her order along with my own. The cashier must have told her what I'd done because as we moved up, she leaned out her window and waved at me and mouthed, thank you. Obviously embarrassed that I had repaid her rudeness with kindness. When I got to the second window, I showed the young man both receipts and I took her food too. <laughs> That's really wrong for you to laugh. Uh, so bad. I'm glad you're in church. I bet she was surprised when she had to go all the way back and start over again. And then he said, don't blow your horn at old people. We've been around a long time. All right, so people have notions around how to win God's favor, how to be a friend of God. Um, salvation by reputation, that's what we were just talking about. If I do enough good stuff, if I'm a good enough person, God will let me in. Some people believe that salvation is by affiliation, and they'll, they'll think, okay, well, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm a, a Republican, or I'm a Democrat, or I'm a this, or I'm a that, and, and my mama taught Sunday school, or my daddy was a deacon, or my grandfather built churches in Africa, and so we get a notion in our minds that we're, it's like a, it's like a group discount, you know, and, and so we're in the group, so we get in. And then the Bible, though, the Bible teaches that salvation is by conviction. I believe, I have faith, I have faith not just in Jesus, but that Jesus did something for me. I mean, I, I can believe in something, but not put my faith in that. So it's faith. And so Paul talks about this. It's called sola fide in, in Latin. Sola, alone faith. It's only faith. And a couple of verses ago, he said, so we are going to, uh, I'm sorry, so we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. And this is his point, and he makes it over and over and over again. Now, Paul is this brilliant teacher. I mean, I'm studying this, and I'm like, man, that, that is really smart. So he anticipates again an argument uh, he's done this before, and now he comes back around. But this time he uses an illustration. 
One preacher said, illustrations are like windows. They let the light in. And so when, when, whenever I start to tell a story, people, people perk up. They, like, they, wanna, they want the illustration. I mean, the truth is there, but you have to illustrate the truth. So Paul is going to illustrate the truth. And we do it all the time. Everybody knows this. Like if it's hot outside, you might say, it's so hot out here, you could fry an egg on the sidewalk. And everybody, that's a picture, and we kind of get that. Or it's, uh, it's so cold, uh, you know, it's colder than polar bear's toenails. And we're like, oh, okay, well, I can get that picture. Or I'm hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. And you kind of get the picture. <laughs> kind of get the picture. <laughs> I didn't say it was a good picture. I just said it was a picture. <laughs> All right, so Paul goes and he says, he starts to illustrate. And he uses, he is so strategic. He uses Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation. So chapter 4 of Romans, verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? This is the question that the Jews would ask. Now, it's brilliant to use him. Abraham had a son named Isaac through whom the Jews were born. Abraham had a son named Ishmael through whom uh, the Arabs were born. So all this conflict in the Middle East, all the conflict in the Middle East today is basically a long-standing sibling rivalry. They, they've been aggravated with each other for millions of years. That's just how it works. Now, we're going to see today that Abraham not was, wasn't just the kind of the father of, of the Jews and not just the father of the Arabs, but he's also the father of Christianity. And when I was in vacation Bible school, when I was a kid, and even when I led vacation Bible school, we had a song. And it went, Father Abraham has many sons. You know song? Many sons has Father Abraham. It is theologically really well done. It's a goofy little song, but that, it's true. He had many, many sons in, in the the Christians, the Jews, the, the, the Arabs, they all kind of, uh, the Muslims, they all kind of f see Abraham as a founding figure. All right? Now, Abraham was from a town called Ur. Say it with me. Ur. Yeah. It's um, what I say when I get up in the morning. Ur. Uh, so, Ur. And the Urites, or the Urians, I really don't know what it would be. What do you think? Urians? Jim, is that what you think? We'll go with that. Urians. The Urians were moon worshipers. Probably Abram was also a moon worshiper. Now, he was Abram until he became Abraham, and we're not really going to talk about that today, but if I slip up and I call him Abraham when he should be Abram, it's, it's the same guy. All right, so we see an encounter between God and Abram in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. Leave Ur and go to the land that I will show you. Now, as far as we know, Abram was unique in having an experience where he speaks to God. And God says, okay, I want you to leave your home here. By the way, not everybody is adventurous. I mean, I've lived, in, I've lived in Michigan, Kentucky, New Mexico, Texas, Missouri, South Carolina, and the very best place, I'm not telling you. Uh, so, <laughs> South Carolina, obviously, at, right after Kentucky. Okay, so, Genesis 12. So now he goes on. God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. 
And I will bless those who bless you, and I will uh, uh, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And one of the most remarkable things, if you're keeping up with current events, or if you know anything about world history, there is always, it seems, people, lots of people against the Jews. It's unreasonable how many people are against the Jews just because they're Jews. And, it, I mean, anti-Semitism is rampant. And it's like, well, there was the Holocaust, and there's, there, there, you know, there are people even today trying to, to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Again, it's back to that sibling rivalry. And, well, God said, hey, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I think it probably makes sense, if you want to be on the side of God, to bless Israel. All right. That was inside. has nothing to do with it. Next verse. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran, or Ur, same, same place. Now, let's go back to Romans. Let's go back to Romans. The Jews regarded Abram as a role model. Like, he's the founder of our faith. Therefore, we really should study him and know about him because God calls him a friend, which is really interesting language. But let's go to Romans just for a second. If, in fact, Abram was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, two words in here are really important. Justified, we've talked about this before, but if you haven't been here, justified simply means it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's a really easy way, that's how I remember it. Just as if I'd never sinned. The reality of this is really hard for us to get our minds around because let's say you're in conflict with somebody and they ask forgiveness and you forgive. You forgive, but I'm not sure we ever really forget I mean, we don't have to bring it up. We never have to talk about it again. But somewhere in the filing cabinet in the back of your mind, you still remember. Well, the word justified means that God forgives and he wipes the slate clean. It's like he erases the data. He expunges the record. It is an amazing word. And it's really hard for us because we don't ever experience this. I mean, I guess if you've been to court and you pay a fine or you do something and, and the, the, the judge says, okay, now your record is clear, maybe, maybe that's the same. But justified is this word that, that God uses and it says, he says, this is, um, this is wiped clean. And it helps us, when we understand this, have self-worth that we're accepted by God, that he doesn't remember or hold those things against us. Really, really important word. The other word that's introduced here is a word credited, credited. Now, Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, uses this word often. It's used 41 times in the New Testament. Paul uses it 39 times. He uses it 19 times in the book of Romans. He uses it 11 times in this chapter. If there was a theme of this chapter, it is credited, as righteousness. All right, so how do we think about credit? It's a, it's a sort of a, an accounting term. All right, so let's say back in the day we bartered for things. Maybe we do some of that today, and, and you've got something that's valuable, and, and I've got something that's valuable, and we decide the value is equal, and we trade, and there's no money exchanged. So you've got a goat, 
and I have a plow, and we negotiate, and you say, okay, if you'll plow my field for three years, you can have the goats. And I say, yes. And so we exchange, I exchange labor for a, a material possession. Or uh, you baked a loaf of bread. You break three loaves of bread, and I have two jars of honey, and we negotiate, and, and I say, okay, give me two loaves of bread for my jar of honey, and we negotiate. No, no, uh, no bills are passed. We just barter. All right, so when it says something is credited to him or to us as righteousness, God looks at our sin, our sin. He looks at what Jesus did on the cross when he died for our sins, and he says, I will make an even exchange. I will apply Jesus' righteousness to your sins. I'll take your sins away. And all I see when I look at you is Jesus' righteousness. And the magnitude of what Jesus did, I don't want it to be lost on you. When Jesus died, when he shed his blood on the cross, it covered every sin I have ever committed and ever will commit. But it's bigger than that. That's really big. But it's bigger than that. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, it covered not just the sins of me, everyone I've ever committed and will ever commit. It covers every sin that you have ever committed and ever commit, will ever commit. And it covers every sin that every person who's ever walked on the planet has ever committed or will ever commit. We used to sing a song, There's Power in the Blood. Well, that's pretty powerful. One event, one sacrifice covers all sin for all time. So when he's using this language, credited, he's saying, okay, Jesus' sacrifice covers all things for all time. I've got four daughters. Three of them are, are grown and out of the house and making life. And, and when they were in college... Miriam, my wife, had access to their bank account, and occasionally they would say something like, um, yeah, I had book fees, or I had this, and, and you know, I had to pay this. And, and Miriam then, uh, after the conversation, would come to me, and she would say, do you think we could pay for uh, their books or their this or whatever? And, and you know, as a good dad, I would say no. Uh, uh, and Miriam would talk me into it. But we would, we would, uh, we would say, okay, we're going to take our funds, what we've earned, and we're going to apply it to their accounts and pay for their debt. This is what righteousness means. Now, James has an interesting take on this. James was the brother of Jesus, and he writes about Abraham. And he says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. He was called God's friend which is an amazing terminology. I mean, have you ever wanted to be friends with a star, with somebody famous? It's Super Bowl Sunday. Maybe you want to be friends with Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe you said to yourself, man, I'd really like to be friends with Patrick Mahomes. Or maybe you're a Swifty and you say, I really would like to be friends with Taylor Swift. You're a Swifty. Or maybe you said to yourself, I really would like to be friends with Josiah Gooch. I am a friend of Josiah's. It's great. It really is great. 
If you're a Swifty, when you follow Taylor Swift, you're a Guji, uh, if you're a friend with uh, Josiah Guji. And so maybe you've always thought to yourself, I'd like to be a Guji. Well, you can be. He's here. He'd like to know who you are. But, but the question is, for us today, is how can I become friends with God? And so Paul basically lays it out for us. Now he starts with, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this. So let's, let's, let's look at it. Well, you don't become a friend of God by doing good works. Now, this, if you're Jewish, this was start, he's going to blow their minds. Watch this. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. And what he's saying is he wasn't justified by works. What if, what if let's say, you uh, meet Taylor Swift in an elevator, and she says, oh, I, I, like, I like the cut of your jib, because that's how she talks, and, uh, and I like who you are, and why don't we, why don't we hang out? And, and so you give her your number, and she, she actually texts you, and she says, hey, I'm having a party. Will you go to Sam's Club and get some saltines? Because we know Taylor likes the saltines. And so you, she says, all right, go, go get some saltines. And, and you t- text back, yes, I'll get you some saltines. And you go to Sam's and you get a big box of saltines and you bring it to Taylor's party and you have a party. And the next time Taylor texts, she says, hey, can you go to Sam's and get me um, a big jar of uh, animal crackers? And you're like, yeah, I'll get you. you know, so you go. But if your encounter, your relationship with, with Taylor Swift is always one of you giving and her taking, well, that gets a little bit old. But when we're friends of God, what, what Paul is saying is, look, we don't win God's favor by being nice to him. He, we're already, we can be friends another way. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He didn't have to do anything other than believe. Now, when Abraham was 75 years old, God said, I want you to leave Ur and I want you to go someplace where I'm going to show you eventually. Now, look at this next verse. Genesis. We're back in Genesis. God took Abraham outside and he said, look up in the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. The dude was 85 years old when God says you're going to have so many descendants you'll never be able to count them. This is like God coming to me at night and saying, Joseph, Look at the Boston Celtics. You are going to be the starting point guard for the Boston Celtics. Now, you might not know much about the NBA, but I can tell you this. There are no 6'1", 60-year-old white dudes playing in the NBA. None of us. Now, the oldest player in the NBA is 39. Anybody have a guess who that is? You know him. LeBron James. That's right. And while LeBron and I have a very similar physique, uh, at 60... And I'm a, ma- I'm, a, I'm a stone-cold baller, but I can't do it at 60. I just can't. So if God were to say to me, hey, you know, if I have a dream and God says, I'm going to make you the starting point guard for the Boston Celtics, I don't know, man. But God says to Abram, look, dude, I'm going to make you the descendants. You're going to have so many descendants you won't even be able to count them. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, 
Now, Sarah, it tells us what Sarah thought about this. Abraham is 75 when God says this. Sarah is, uh, uh, he's 85. Sarah's 75, his wife. And it says that she laughed because she knew. Okay, we can't do that. I I don't know if I would be Abram or Sarah if God said, you're going to be the starting point guard for the Celtics. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I might go put up some shots. You know, I I might go start working on my free throws. I mean, who knows? And this word believed is really important. It's the first time it's used in Scripture. Anytime you see a word for the first time, it's kind of good to note that. It's like, okay, well, what was he talking about here? Well, it means amen, or I agree. If you've ever been in a church service, and I've preached in churches like this, and I, you know, you'd say something, and somebody in the audience would say amen. You know, uh, the, bless the Lord, oh my soul, amen. And so it's like, yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree with that. That's kind of what Abram, he is agreeing. He believed. He's, he's like, amen, Lord. I believe, so be it. When Miriam this morning said, I think I'm going to make enchiladas for the Super Bowl, I said, amen. Amen. So be it. Let it be so. May it be so. Please let it be so. She didn't really say that, but I put that in the sermon because she was in the first service and I wanted her to hear it. Okay. (laughs) It's called strategery. Okay, now. Abraham's 85. Sarah's 75. Physiologically, pretty impossible. Except when it comes to God. All right, so look, look. Paul goes on. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. All right, time out. You work a 30-hour week. On Friday, you go into the boss's office. He hands you an envelope with a check. I know that nobody does that anymore, but let's just say that's how it used to go. He hands you an envelope with a check. You open it up. You see there's a check in there, and you're paid whatever agreement you've come to. It's 40 hours at this wage, and here's my check. And then there are some deductions, and your check is a lot smaller than you wish it was. But is is that a gift? No, it's not a gift. You worked for it. And Paul is saying, look, if God has to let you into heaven, it's not a gift. When you're filling out your taxes on April 14th, are you going to try to convince the IRS that, hey, no, no, it's not wages. They just gave me this money. Well, you might try it, but it won't work. Because it's not a gift. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. He, goes, he says this over and over again. Now, notice this. God justifies the ungodly. Why does he do that? Because that's all there is. <laughs> There's no other option. If God wants people into heaven, he's going to have to justify some ungodly people because he has no other options. He just spent, Paul just spent three chapters saying, look, we're all in a whole lot of trouble. Now, sometimes we're saved. We place our faith in the work that Jesus did for us. We give him our hearts. But then we start to think, well, I've won God's favor, but now I'm afraid I'm I'm not keeping up my end of the bargain, so I start doing stuff. I'm afraid, when I do that, I'm afraid that God's love is limited. I'm old enough to remember going to a coffee shop, and there might be a sign on the wall that said, bottomless cup of coffee. 
And what that meant was you can come in and if you order coffee, they'll keep coming by and they'll keep filling your cup up and then you never, it never runs out because there's just, there's just no limit to how much coffee you can have. It kind of works that way. If you go to a restaurant and they give you a cup and you can go to the, you can go to the soda uh, dispenser and you can get whatever you want, you can get as much as you want. And it's really, really important for us to understand God's love is limitless. It just never runs out. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you could do to make God love you less. Sometimes we think, okay, well, God has forgiven all my sins, so then I'll just do what I want to do. And you can. You absolutely can. I, those sins are forgiven. You can do whatever you want to do. But why would you do that? The sacrifice that Jesus made, why would you do that? And I can tell you this, as a father with daughters or with kids, I know this. When my kids misbehaved, I disciplined them. You might do what you want to do, but I mean, I would expect God's discipline because you discipline the people you love when they get off track. So Paul has said, okay, let's talk about Abraham. Like, Abraham is the George Washington of the Jews. He's the father of their nation. Now he brings in somebody else. If there was a Mount Rushmore of Jewish heroes, Abraham would be on there and David would be on there. David says, so he brings up David. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. David said, and this is a quote from Psalm 32, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. There's that idea of justification again. David writes this after he has committed some egregious sins. He had an affair with a married woman. Her name was Bathsheba. To cover the affair, he has Bathsheba's husband murdered, put into battle where he's going to die. I mean, he basically arranged for his, his killing. There are ten, there are like the big ten, the Ten Commandments. He, commit, he breaks two of them in this one act, in this one season. I don't know what sins you have in your life. I know what sins I have in my life. They are many. They are egregious. But when I look at David and he says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, I think about his transgressions. I mean, it's not like David was caught jaywalking or taking a paperclip from work. He committed adultery. He had that sin covered by having this woman's husband murdered. It, these are big sins. If we, if we were going to grade them, those are pretty big. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. This is really, really big stuff. So you might say, well, well then what's the purpose of confession? If my sins are already forgiven, why do I confess? So that you can be in right relationship. It's all about relationship. So Paul's like, okay, okay. You want to be a friend of God? It's not, it's not about works. It's not about ritual. All right, you have to understand that the Jews thought circumcision was the ticket to heaven. 
In fact, you couldn't be a Jew if you're a man without being circumcised. You could have a you could have Jewish uh, dad and a Jewish mom, but if you weren't circumcised, you weren't a Jew. Circumcision was big. So <laughs> David talks about Abraham. He talks about David. Now he talks about their one ritual that they held so high: circumcision. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? And every Jewish person that hears this is going, well, it's for the circumcised. That's what we've believed for thousands of years. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Yeah, you keep saying it. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after circumcision or before? And he blows their minds because it was before they were circumcised that he was credited as righteous. The problem with saying it's got to be circumcision is Abram was declared righteous before circumcision. Genesis 15, Abram believed the Lord. Genesis 15, Abraham is 85. Circumcision was introduced. Uh, Genesis 17, 14 years later. Abraham was credited as righteous in God's sight 14 years before circumcision. And Paul's like, dude, you, all th- you don't even know your Bibles. Just read the Bible. So, second thing, circumcision was a symbol, not a cause. Abraham received circumcision as a sign, a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He was a man of faith before this was given. I wear a wedding ring, but my wedding ring doesn't make me married. It's a symbol of my marriage. It reminds people that I'm married. But the commitment I've made in my heart is the thing. We do the same thing. We apply it to, well, I was, I was baptized or I've taken communion. Like, well, that's not it. Those are great things. Those are awesome things. They're symbols, but they don't make a person saved. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but also follow the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Father Abraham is the father of the circumcised, but he was before the circumcised, he was the father of those who didn't have that symbol. So, Paul, it's not by works, not by ritual, not by the law. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Really important. Let's, let, me, let me ask you a question. Quiz, quiz time. Was Abraham before or after Moses? Before, before. He was way before Moses. All right. Does anybody know how far before? Hey, let's do it like Price is Right. Give me a number, and I'll say higher or lower. 200, higher. 500, lower. Uh, higher than 400. 450, yes. Bing, 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 you win. Okay, 450, 450. Abraham was considered righteous. He was credited with righteousness 450 years before the law was even given. He couldn't have been righteous because of the law, because there was no law. Uh, He was righteous by faith before 
there was the law. If this was a prize fight, they would call it because Paul has just annihilated any argument. He, he, his brilliance is sort of off the charts. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment to those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is not to have a law. Is it not true that human nature gravitates toward breaking the law? I'll give you an example. You're walking in the park. There's a park bench. The park bench says wet paint. Do not touch. What do you want to do? Yeah, you want to touch it. You're walking through the park, and there's a sign. Keep off of the grass. What do you want to do? I mean, this is human nature. Paul's like, the only way to not break the law is to not have a law. You see a speed limit sign, 55. It's not a challenge. Uh, we think, well, <laughs> not for me. That's who we are. So Paul's like, okay, okay. You don't win God's favor by good works. You're not a friend of God by ritual. You're not a friend of God by keeping the law. You're a friend of God through faith. Only faith. Not faith plus. Only faith. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, the Jews, but also those who have faith, the faith of Abraham. He is the father of both the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, those who obey the law and those who don't have the law. He is the father figure of us all. Because he was the first to have faith. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. That's how it works. All right, let me end with the story. On June 30th, 1859, a guy named Charles Blondin, think about how old this photo is. Charles Blondin, they stretched a cable from one side of Niagara Falls to the other, and Blondin got on a tightrope on this cable, and he walked across several times. He walked across with this pole. One time he walked across pushing a wheelbarrow. One time he walked across on stilts. One time uh, he was blindfolded. I mean, can you imagine? I can't even imagine. And then one time he had a dude on his back. The guy's name is Harry Colcord. Faith is like Harry Colcord. Because when you're on the back of somebody else running across, walking across a tightrope, you have no control. I mean, Charles Blondin makes a, a, a slip. They're both going down. Think about the, the level of faith that dude on his back had. Faith is called often a transfer of trust. I, I have faith in myself, but then I know myself can't win God's favor. So I place this faith that I used to have in myself in Jesus who died for me. This is what faith is. I transfer 
My faith from me or a ritual or keeping the law, all those are me. And I put it on Jesus. A transference of faith, a transference of trust. That's what faith is, a transference of trust. I don't trust, I don't trust me anymore to win my salvation. I trust that Jesus has won my salvation. Paul is it's just, it's just a brilliant argument that he made in the text we got to see today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that you've given to us. Thank you for these words that are so clear. Thank you for giving them to Paul, who was brilliant, who writes it in such a way that we can understand. Thank you, Lord, for what you do for us, for what Jesus did for us, for covering our sins both now and forevermore and in the past. We thank you for the sacrifice that Christ made. We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.